Welcome to Podcast on Fire on the Corruptor and the Buddhist Fist. And Chow fats second American movie sees him moving away from his market-tailored debut on the American market two years earlier in The Replacement Killers that featured the plot of the killer and spa's dialogue from the man. In 1999's The Corruptor, he talks and talks and talks and talks and teams up with Marky Mark. Also, Yoon Ping continues his uh, run of martial arts uh, comedy, comedies after firmly uh, setting the standard earlier in the late 70s, and this time he gives his brother Yoon Chun-Yi the lead role in 1980's The Buddhist Fist. And my name is Kenny B, and with me is, after a splendid guest spot uh, actually a few years ago when we discussed Face Off, is uh, Dr. Stanglick. So, hello sir, how are you? Oh, I'm just fine. Great to be here. Thank you for that nice introduction, Kenneth. Uh, absolutely. I, I I knew I liked you when I heard you way back in the day. This is Deep Cuts. When you did the, the cinema podcast with uh, our friends uh, Coffin John and Joshua, what have you, and you discussed the... Granted, I like Taiwanese movies. I don't like Taiwanese art movies. And you discussed, in that case, the movie Goodbye, Dragon Inn. And you <laughs> gave that movie a lashing like you read about. So I knew that you were my guy because I'm not a fan of quiet art movies abstract art movies granted i'm not smart enough to get them but i know it's not my genre necessarily either and judging by that podcast it's not your genre either at least not in the case of goodbye dragon Inn. no goodbye dragon Inn. i mean it, if, if you want if you if you're interested in a, a slow painful death or uh <laughs> maybe going to sleep goodbye dragon Inn, you know is fine but uh i i i found it abysmal but but sometimes sometimes things that you don't like are the most fun to talk about. For sure, for sure, because it uh, it can like spew out of you, but not in that um, uh, whiny way necessarily. It can be a context, uh, a discussion of context, and uh, all of that, despite um, such uh, angry views, if you will. On the other hand, um, a, a recent, fairly recent Taiwanese film, uh, The Assassin, that, that that was that was that was lovely. I mean. You know, especially the way he got the uh, clouds to co- and fog to come up that mountain on cue <laughs> in, in that one great scene. Yeah, I haven't pursued that because I haven't, I haven't heard enough great things for me to get excited about that because it, it's not really my type of uh, movie language. The genre is my type of genre. Mm. The swordplay movie, I'm, 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 right. I'm, I'm aboard, but... Uh, I'm I'm I seek out as I jokingly say, but it's also true. The the Taiwanese genre movies of the seventies and eighties, in particular these wild special effects movies for children, with a lot of martial arts, special effects, cartoony special effects, and a lot of uh, toilet humor as well. Which is uh, it is kind of my go-to because it's creative as hell and it's childish too. So uh, uh, the child of Peach and magic of. Uh, as a spell and the kung fu wonder child and these kind of wonderful uh, titles so so um, but uh, goodbye dragon in uh, dragon in i've pursued obviously but not goodbye dragon in and uh, i'm not gonna uh, but uh, at any rate uh, we are gonna do some brief contact information but uh, uh, let me just ask you I, I know you at least did a blog and you 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 write and things like that and you keep going to movie events uh, in uh, new york so do you still keep that up or what's what's uh, going on in the world of uh, stanglick yeah, I'm I'm still doing my blog, Asian Cinefest, which is at asiancinefest.blogspot.com. Not quite as much. Uh, partially, I first off, the summer is just brutal because you've got the uh, New York Asian Film Festival, you've got you've got the Japan Cuts Film Festival. They're like this one-two punch at the end of June and beginning of July, and it's always hot as hell. And 
And in addition to that, there's the regular DVDs and Blu-rays coming out and theatrical openings. So, uh, you know, the summer is really a brutal time for me. And partially, too, I've just seen so many movies that really haven't done that much for me. It's like I'm going, would I ever have wanted to watch this if it wasn't an Asian movie? Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, you know, the answer is no. Um, But, yeah, I'm still doing the blog and, uh, you know, still covering these events. In fact, uh, I, I mainly did a another stint as coordinator for V cinema in terms of covering both the uh, New York Asian film festival and Japan cuts again this year, you know, keeping track of what was available, uh, letting all the various writers know as people put in their bids, I, I, I kept people notified, okay, this is not available. So-and-so's got it. And then, you know, notifying the people, uh, the publicist for New York Asian film festival or at the staff at Japan cuts, you know, here's the link to this guy's review. Here's the link to this woman's review, and so on and so forth. So that was that was busy and time consuming, but it was it was. You know, I felt really good about being able to do that again this year. I've done it for a few years now. Were you uh, able to attend the uh, event that included uh, Eric Tsang's uh, Lifetime Achievement Award? Uh, was that the New York Asian Film Festival? Right. No, I I didn't. In fact. Uh, <laughs> Before I embarrass myself, let me just say no, I didn't make that. Uh, you know, part of it is it's 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 been so hot at that time of year, and um, I just uh, didn't have a lot of enthusiasm for going down there. And so some stuff I watched on on my computer. New York Asian Film Festival, most of their stuff is online screeners, and uh, Japan Cuts has both online and and DVDs. And partially too, I've gotten. I've gotten so jaded. I mean, I, I met Sam O'Hong. I met Jackie Chan. You interviewed uh, Choi, Choi Hawk a few years ago as well, I remember. Yeah, Choi Hawk, yes. I met him and interviewed him. And, and sort of like, you know, when, you, when you've done that, it's like, I just, sometimes I just don't, I just don't have the, 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 the juice to do it. Plus, I'm, I'm getting older and older now. You, know, so. well, you don't need to do everything that's awesome you right. know, like you, you can have a ch- chunk of the awesome cake and that, that that's still good and that's still productive and creative and you, you you're putting your time in and supporting uh whatever cinema we're, we're talking of hong kong uh, korean japanese or what have you so it's not like uh you're slacking obviously not uh, so uh, you should be content my friend and uh, reflect back on this uh, hot summer of events and hot summer in terms of weather and uh, you should probably be pretty satisfied of uh in terms of what you did get done so yeah, um, and maybe next year I'll bounce back with a vengeance, you know. <laughs> Take it everything. All the screeners are mine. The game has witnessed the fact that I'm here talking with you about two, uh, two interesting movies of uh, very different sorts. Absolutely. Uh, sweet. And uh, the, pl- the plugs and the relevant links will be in the contact information on our site and in the show post. And the rest of the contact information for the network is uh, goes as follows. I'll rattle it off really quick. And this is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. And our site is podcastonfire.com where you'll find this show on mostly vintage and sometimes new Hong Kong movies. But also talking about movies, in this case, uh, featuring Hong Kong stars when they go abroad and pursue a career elsewhere. I think that's a valid coverage. And... Uh, we certainly did that with uh, Face Off, uh, John Woo's Face Off, and uh, obviously John Woo's new movie is about to be released with uh, Manhunt, which uh, I'll judge it when I see it. I wasn't terribly excited when I saw the uh, the trailer. It looked a kind of uh, greatest hits, but not in that excited, uh, exciting way where I thought, oh my god, he's back. Um, but again, trailers are completely misleading sometimes. Uh, they're, they lack context. So when whenever I get to see Manhunt, I'll uh, make a firm, uh, firm verdict uh, 
uh, on it then. But uh, uh, I, I'm, my expectations are sort of neutral, I suppose, uh, towards Manhunt. So. But that would be okay. Like <laughs> John doesn't need to impress us anymore. <laughs> John Woo doesn't need to impress us anymore. And, uh, you know, talking just in general about, um, you know, Hong Kong people who came to Hollywood, at least for various times, I mean, uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that um, John Woo was the most successful of them. But at any rate, we have shows on Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Lisa cinema, Ninja cinema, and we do audio commentaries every now and again and uh, such things. If you have any questions or feedback and uh, views on these movies in question, The Corruptor and The Buddhist Fist, please let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. And let us know on social media as well. We have handy buttons leading to our Facebook presence, our Twitter presence. After that, there's a button to our iTunes feed. Subscribe rate and leave a comment and you can also click the stitcher radio buttons to to stream us either on their website or the applications available for uh, devices that uh, are connected to the apple app store or google play and as for my review website of uh, hong kong movies and taiwanese movies of uh, a variety of uh, genres some inappropriate some perfectly appropriate uh, uh, that's all located on sogoodreviews.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews so with that out of the way let's uh, take a musical break and uh, play uh, 30 seconds or so from from the corruptor and then we'll be back to discuss uh, chime fat's second american movie so sit tight and we'll be back And welcome back. And the first review of this episode is of the movie The Corruptor from 1999, starring Chai Fat. And the plot from the Forest Films review of the film goes as follows. Uh, Detective Nick Chen, played by Chai Fat, is something of a celebrity in Chinatown, New York. He has busted quite a few cases in his time and received commendations for his efforts. The main problem for him in this part of uh, town is the ongoing war between the two biggest triad groups, the Tongs and the Fukunese dragons, and Chen is firmly involved in trying to stop both of them. When he is assigned Daniel Wallace, played by Mark Wahlberg, or Marky Mark, a, uh, who's a white cop, uh, placed in, into his Asian t- task force, Nick Chen's Asian task force, he is obviously more than a little annoyed uh, about this uh, rookie coming in. Uh, Wallace's lack of experience is evident in their first gunfight, so Chen takes it upon himself to show this rookie the ropes. And in the meantime, the young and ruthless leader of the Fukunese, uh, Bobby Wu, played by Byron Man, is leaving a bloody trail of dead bodies behind him and the Tongs are looking for revenge. Maybe if they adopt some assistance from a few friendly police officers, they can use it to their advantage. The question is, who is the corrupter and who is the corrupted? As you might remember, we'll do some short opinions first, just so listeners know where we're coming from in terms of like or dislike. So, in short, uh, what did you think of uh, The Corruptor? And do you remember seeing it uh, back in the day, either uh, theatrically or on DVD? Don't believe that I saw it theatrically, but um, I did buy the DVD, and I pulled it out of storage uh, in preparation uh, for, for this podcast, because it had been a number of years. Bottom line... I liked it. It's a it's a it's a it's a nice serviceable police criminal story. Uh, there's a bit of action in it, um, especially like the some of the supporting cast in it: Rick Young and Kim Chan, whom 
you know, may talk about the two of them a little bit later, a, a greater extent. Also, Brian Cox, mm-hmm. um, who plays Ma, um, Mark Wahlberg or Danny Wallace's, uh, to use the name of the character, he played Brian Cox plays plays his father, and uh, I've I've just been a big fan of Brian Cox ever since I saw him in 1996's Long Kiss Goodnight, which, in my opinion, is one of the two greatest Hollywood action movies ever made. The other one being Face Off. You know, yeah, Rennie Hawley. So I, I can't say Sweden represent, obviously, but Scandinavia represent because he's Finnish. So <laughs> that's where yeah. I'm coming from. Uh, I'll, I'll stop you right there. I kind of agree. Uh, I think it's not the deepest examination of walking that balance between lawful and corrupted, but it's all very solid and sometimes even impactful in terms of um, violence and bloodshed. Uh, supporting cast helps uh, matters a lot. Uh, uh, Marky Mark doesn't. Ele- I know I'm cheeky, but I'm, I'm still going to call him Marky Mark. Uh, he doesn't elevate material as such but Chayunfad does because uh, and I'm glad that he's now allowed to be a chatterbox compared to his first US film where they kept him non-verbal most of the time as he uh, perhaps felt more comfortable still trying to fine-tune his English uh, which was still good beforehand to be honest and the mo- he's the most interesting character in terms of this uh, examination of uh, morality where you know he's torn between loya- uh, loyalty and uh, cleaning up crime so all very solid uh, so um let's uh, get into it i want to talk marky mark a little bit because he had his brush with hong kong greatness two years in a row here again the year early he was directed in the big hit by uh, kirk wong the action comedy that uh, Kirk did, that, that John Woo produced. And I am such a big fan of uh, the big hit. It's it's light-hearted John Woo-style stuff, which Kirk never did in Hong Kong. Kirk is the director of Crime Story, Rock and Roll Cop, Gunman, and he de- but he never did John Woo-style action. And it was so much fun that he transitioned to that and made a fun, silly movie uh, on the US market. And I think it deserves more then it's uh it's still not getting much love uh, the the big hits so i'm 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 a big fan of it he he hit uh, it just the tone was just delightful for me and to see kirk as um as a director who who never really dabbled in comedy either do well in terms of directing comedy and uh, banter uh, foul mouthed banter and things like that that was that was all cool do you remember the seeing the big hit at at any point uh, if you liked it or didn't like it? I don't really remember it at all. I'm not sure that I saw it. I, I very well may have, but it's left no impression on me. <laughs> you know, um, I see Lou Diamond Phillips was in it. Also, Christina Applegate. Uh, yeah, she plays uh, the fiance of Marky Marks, and Lou Diamond Phillips is a hoot in that movie. Uh, they are. It gets the tone right. So if if you have a cheap rental that you can pick up, or uh, or if you even have a DVD, give it a chance again. It's uh, it's it's not a bad time, uh, not a demanding time either. Obviously, being a comedy, but with some kick-ass action that isn't John Woo light in an embarrassing way or anything. It's all it's all it's all good fun, man. That's uh, Marky Mark and his brush with Hong Kong greatness. And now we move over to the Corruptor. And I, I followed the development because I, I saw the replacement killers in the theaters, and I was a big fan of Chai Fat by that point, having seen him in the John Woo movies and and a drama or comedy here and there. So it looked more substantial beforehand. It was not a Hong Kong image rehash because as much as i like the replacement killers it really was the killer and they made they it was a safe bet to make a movie that would be recognizably chai in fact and they also recycled the plot from the killer really which is fine to start off on the market but i'm glad they gave him some material to chew into to be the actor here because as you noted 
it has action, but it's not really an action movie. Or, or how uh, how would you define it as such? Do 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 you think it's it's Hong Kong in style, or is it uh, less Hong Kong in style and more character driven? You'd say the corrupter is sort of a bit of maybe can I call it Hong Kong light? I mean, you have the relationship between. Nick Chen, Chow's character, and Danny Wallace, Mark's character. You know, it, it echoes some of the themes that uh, about brotherhood and conflict, you know, that John Woo has made an art form of or, or did years ago in, in his career. Uh, but it's, it's not nearly at that level. The action scenes, well, there's a real nice car chase, um, but a lot of the action scenes... Like I say, Hong Kong light. There's one scene early on. There's a shootout, and if I'm not mistaken, Chow Yun Fat has two guns out, one in each hand, and he's blasting away. But unlike Hard Boiled, you know, when he plays tequila and he's sliding down the banister, here he's just like lying on his side on the floor. So it's not nearly as visually there, there's it's not nearly as interesting as uh, as what Wu did. That's a little cool like ding i recognize that image but i think james foley the director um, he isn't out to evoke Chow's image but he he is more out for a gritty brutality in like tight areas it claustrophobic areas and but but not stylized shootouts so he isn't really either he's not forced to make a hong kong movie certainly and it just happens that some of the imagery evokes that, but there, there's not a, a whole lot of shootouts. There, there's shooting, there's gritty shooting. And I think, in all honesty, because this movie is a little bit more about meteor material, it's more of a character piece, I'm glad that it isn't putting on a show and uh, trying to make us uh, remember, ha, I've seen, I remember that in The Killer and Hard Boiled, or The Replacement Killers, for that matter. So I, I think it's, a, it's the better choice that... Um, to move away from um, that commercial image of Charles. Uh, granted, they were trying to break him on the market, and this movie wasn't that successful, but I- I'm all for Chow the actor, to be honest, and if we get some action in between, then uh, bonus, I suppose. But uh, James Foley, as an action director, he even admits that, that that's simply not me, man. I mean, I, I like character drama, and, uh, is, and, and I get some action in there, but it's going to be character-based, and... Uh, I think that's a fair balance and a more compelling balance in, in my in my opinion. Yeah, did you see it on DVD or I did. I borrowed the New Line DVD back in the day from a friend and never owned it until I picked up both the blue and the DVD for this show. I'll I'll, I'll talk of why I did that mad thing, but it it, it has to do with supplements uh, in yeah, this case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cuz the the DVD that, you know, that I've had for years, you know, I watched the uh, supplement and Foley straightforward said that you know, action was a challenge for me. It's, it's so much different and so much more is involved in all. There's one shootout. Um, actually, there's a couple of, of them, one near the end, both in very, very narrow corridors, like you said, which doesn't give you the room to get things really exciting. You know, when you think back to, uh, you know, again, my one of my favorites, the face-off, uh, the, the scene when, 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 the cops break into the lair, you know, they're coming, they're dropping through the glass in the roof and there's all these spaces to get involved with in, in uh, the corruptor, as you pointed out, very, very limited, except for the, um, the car chase scene with uh, semi-automatic weapons <laughs> being fired all over the place, which was also interesting in one of the, uh, maybe it was the same uh, making of extra on the DVD 
that the uh, writer, Robert Pucci, who this was his second writing credit and, and he doesn't have any more. The first was The Spider and the Fly, a TV movie from 1994. But he said that, you know, he was doing research and was like, yeah, this kind of thing went on in Chinatown, you know, prior there were <laughs> there were these rivalries and there was gunfire um, all over the place. And I think he said that one of the uh, advisors on the set, you know, who was a police officer or a former police officer, they would ask him, said, like, what do you think about this? Is this plausible? And the, guy, <laughs> the advisor said, no, you should amp it up some because <laughs> it was even worse. It it has a mean streak in terms of violence. It doesn't flinch in obviously the opening with that mean, really mean explosion in terms of like cinematically it looks big and just comes right out of nowhere. But it, it's 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 brutal because there's bystanders uh, caught in that explosion and uh, that that's the brutality of the gangs. They don't care who's in the way as long as they get their way. And uh, you know, I I didn't think it was gratuitous. I thought they just set the scene that okay, this is not going to be fun. This is gonna. There, there's stakes here, and uh, there, there's no need for stylized uh, two guns sliding down tight corridors. They're not gonna even slide down those tight corridors. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, in terms of Chaifat now getting a chance to really flex his English, and and he is he's great with characters. Obviously, a great, great dramatic actor. So this is not new. But how did you think uh, he handled being saddled with so much English dialogue and? In common, which isn't his first language, obviously, and then in combination with a fairly meaty character as well. So, how did you think he handled himself uh, by his second American movie? I was very impressed, especially so because he was interviewed in the making of Supplement on the DVD, and there you can see that his actual English is much more limited. You know, he in the movie he's very fluent; he his delivery is spot on. And then when you see him uh, answering questions in the interview on the extra, it's clear that his his actual English is much more limited than 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 the dialogue in the movie. So, in terms of his ability to uh, memorize the dialogue, understand it, I mean, presumably he had somebody, or it's very likely he had somebody helping him out with it. But but he was able to handle it, and um, I truly thought that he was as fluent in real life with English as he was in the movie. So I was really kind of surprised in the extra to find out that like he wasn't nearly as articulate with English, which is of course understandable. Mm -hmm. but, um, I thought he handled that and the drama very well. There was one choice fairly early on. He's responding to somebody hassling him. Maybe, maybe it was the guy from the FBI and he has like this, Nicholas Cage moment where he like his eyes bug out and he shakes his head. Like, oh my god, you know. I mean, it... he 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 plops. Uh, he finger plops like he takes his finger into his, his mouth and goes, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there, there's a couple of choices there that are big and. I have to assume that the, that's what the director wanted from him, but I gotta say that like to see Chow Yun Fat doing Nicolas Cage really took me out of the movie for just a brief <laughs> moment. But uh, other than that, I thought his characterization was spot on. He is he's good with the nonverbal too, and he can, commu can communicate that with mm. uh, his charisma. And in, in terms of English, like the infliction and such, it's great, but it doesn't seem perfect. And that's the logic of the story. He's not an American-born Chinese uh, as a character. He's, uh, uh, he's a Hong Kong cop that at some point or Hong Kong person that at some point uh, where 
moved to America and uh, has grown up in American culture. So that's perfectly fine. So they don't saddle him with the fact that you, you got to get it more fluent otherwise. So we're screwed. And, but he's commanding the language very well, the police lingo, and his lines flow very well in terms of the banter back and forth. And I, I think his his English, his off-the-cuff English was always pretty good for a Hong Kong person, even though you're right, he isn't quick on his feet as such because he needs to think through what what he's going to say himself and all of that so uh, but he 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 didn't start from zero we, and uh, so i always thought that his uh, transition to um to english speaking roles was uh, was kind of great and uh, to see him roam free here is uh, is pretty uh, pretty nice actually because it reminds us of the fact that um, reminds us of the fact that he is uh, really the man and he's intense and he's uh, broody but he's also low key and he can communicate his uh, duality very well not classic award-winning stuff but all very very solid and i don't think i think without chai fat we would have had a lesser movie so he really performers elevate this movie uh, oh yeah quite a, quite a bit and him being um at the top of it and uh carrying the movie uh very well it's all cop genre tropes, of course. The new guy, and normally he, they, this team, they work alone. They want a, don't want a new guy, but uh, especially a white guy, <laughs> white guy with yellow fever. <laughs> exactly, that's a line from the movie. Uh, and Marky is so soft spoken and uh, awkward, but that that's obviously the intent uh, too. Uh, without spoiling it, there, there is something else to his role. But uh, he's clearly a really new cop. I mean this. Presumably, he got out of the police academy, and this is one of his first, if not his first, assignment. You know, which is shown by the fact that he he turns into a uh, like a like a, a deer in headlights when the uh, bullets start flying for the first. And 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 that's a good point actually, because that that that's the bust, uh, the prostitution uh, prostitution ring bust, and how the violence comes out of nowhere. I think is really on the money in terms of shocking because Foley, the director. He stays on, not lingers in a gratuitous way, but he lets us know that cops are getting in the way and they die horribly. Yes, they're faceless cops because we don't know them, but it's harsh, man. It's a coherent, chaotic visual style, right? So, uh, because nowadays, a lot of that would be too shaky for my uh, for my money's worth. Back in, in the late 90s, they were still capturing things very clearly, even though it is chaotic, but we have a sense of where that shootout in another narrow space where it is and where we're going and i wouldn't blame you if you flinched a little that the violence is um it's pretty shocking to be honest even though it's it's just a squid blowing up we're not talking hardcore splatter but it feels real enough and i think that that, that effect is um is compelling for me uh to be honest uh or, or what do you think in terms of how foley conveys violence throughout is it is it shocking to you or you i i don't know about shocking but yeah i mean it, it... It was it was a kick in the nuts a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, certainly in that 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 shootout in the uh, in the brothel where we also get a bunch of uh, nice little Chinese titties, a little bit little bit of nudity thrown in there, which uh, is appropriate considering that they're getting busted in the middle of their uh, uh, performing their duties. Um, but then also, I, I'm thinking back, and there was a comment about this again in the in the DVD extra, the. Uh, the car chase where they're flying through the streets of lower Manhattan, you know, and they're after these Fukunese who just like, <laughs> they don't care who they shoot or where they shoot. And there's one shot of a woman in a, um, 
who's just sitting in the car and they happen to drive by and she happens to be in the path of the bullet. She's between the police and the Fukunese and the Fukunese just let loose with a volley and blood comes, like I say, it's just squibs, but bursting out of her chest because she's shot from behind. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty uh, intense. And it's intense even in the uh, slightly reduced version for the final R-rated movie. The the MPAA had something to say about that scene. Granted, when you see that in the supplements, the unrated version of the car chase versus the R-rated version, all the content is there. It's just ever so slightly shortened here and there. So they didn't take out any... Any deaths? Well, one or two deaths, but there's a lot of bystanders that just gets it brutally in that uh, car chase. Even though we might return to it uh, or go back and forth here in the movie. But I, I think F- Foley is getting the balance right in terms of making a car chase that doesn't take us out of the movie. and, and ma- Like, he, he doesn't make it as grand of a chase like, for instance, the final boat chase in Face Off, which uh, it, it's not too grand and too stylized for face off it works that's part of the uh, the visual thinking the action thinking so foley is quite uh, good at making that that court is not a gratuitous added action piece just to add up an action piece it's um it, it goes in line with the solid action beats of the movie and certainly a little bit in terms of the drama of uh, these cops bonding over violence uh, and uh, and all of that uh, so it, it's it's a pretty vicious uh, needed piece maybe not but it certainly adds uh, to the movie and, and makes us go forward with the characters and uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a dick punch as well <laughs> that sequence when people start to get it as they plow through uh, plow through new york or um, or in certain shots uh, they're, they're shooting in toronto as uh, the supplements uh, informed ourselves so it's a it's a mix and match i must say living in new york and having been here uh at the opening of the movie there's a shot very er- very early on and you can see the twin towers of the world trade center in the background very clear skyline is like every time i see that in a movie is like ah yeah you know because i actually i i worked in one of the towers for a brief period in the uh 90s i mean and i hated it I absolutely hated those buildings. They were just like too big, um, but still, it was like nobody had the right to take them down. <laughs> yeah, there's even shots in old uh, Hong Kong movies that, that they shot in New York. That's that's still a reminder of all of that. There's a giant fat movie called An Autumn's Tale that was mainly filmed in New York, and they get some shots uh, that way. So it's uh, it's unavoidable, obviously. It's um, yeah. I mean, I, I wound up, I was coming to work and I heard something about a plane hitting the World Trade Center. I figured somebody just, you know, went off course or whatever. And I got to my job in uh, in Brooklyn Heights right across the river and I'm looking out the windows and I'm seeing all the smoke and all. It's like, yeah. whenever I see that in a movie, it like always brings a lump to my throat and a little, little twist in my uh, gut. And as for um, Giant Fat, I mean, if we just think back a little, little of um, his American career is sort of. I mean, he he does English movies every now and again, but now it's not a matter of just working in America and just working in China or Hong Kong because now he mixes and matches. That's how he can work. Yeah. And I, I think, judging by evidence and box office, that. If they couldn't get the audience there for the one first movie or the second movie, I don't think Chai was destined for a big break on the American market. Uh, 
majority of the movies were okay choices. I mean, a, a movie like Bulletproof Monk, that's totally disposable. Uh, but for my money's worth, I think uh, my favorite American movie he did was Anna and the King. Very, very fi- uh, fine movie, which I, I saw for the first time not all that long ago. Look, Chung and Fat, it, he is terrific. I've always thought of him, or pretty much after I became a bit familiar with him, that he was like Hong Kong's answer to Cary Grant. He's got the looks, and uh, as you pointed out, sometimes he can do stuff with just a facial gesture. And he's he's so charming, and he's so handsome. Um, but it's one of those things where Hollywood just doesn't know what to do with these people sometimes. You know, I'm talking about this big star from Hong Kong. They bring him here. They first team him up in 98 with Mira Sorvino in The Replacement Killers. She had... Three years earlier, she'd won the Best Actress, uh, Best Supporting Actress award for Mighty Aphrodite. And then in 90, the following year, 99, they put him with uh, Mark Wahlberg in The Corrupter. And Wahlberg, just a couple years earlier, had had uh, his first real, real big acclaim for his performance in Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights in 1997. So they keep pairing him up in these first two films and then with... with um, What's her face? Uh, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, yeah. You know, um, and but it, it never, but they never really use him the way that he would be allowed to shine. And it's it's really too bad that like nobody could come up with like some sort of a romantic comedy with him. He would have loved that because he is uh, he one you don't uh, John Woo won't blow you up on a romantic comedy, <laughs> but uh, he he's, he's he's just great as a comedian and obviously a romantic leading uh, man. He's uh, he's built for that uh, obviously. So um, the and, and he can play both suave. Let's simplify it. He can play a suave like rich man, and he can play play an everyday man equally equally well. And Autumn's Tale is my favorite Hong Kong movie of all time, and he is terrific in it as as a, you know an immigrant working in do, doing his best in Chinatown, and he is great. He his charisma isn't too he's natural, which means mm. that you're not looking at a movie star and you can't wash away the stench of the movie star, which can be a problem with certain movie stars. That mm. yeah, like George Clooney, George Clooney, totes George Clooney. Like his character's Mark. Nope, George Clooney. <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. And sometimes that's a problem for Chow, especially in Hong Kong, and obviously subsequently he is he can sink his teeth into roles. The the odd thing is, I think the most successful American impact he ever made was in a, for all intents and purposes, a Taiwanese movie, <laughs> you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That's that's probably the most successful giant fat movie. I'm I'm taking a chance here. I'm shot in the dark. I'm thinking that's probably the most successful Chai Fat movie box office-wise on the American markets. Yeah, I mean, you can't really consider Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End um, a Chow Yun-Fa movie. No, gl- glorified supporting actor in that one, there, really. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Crouching Tiger, uh, I'm not sure, but uh, for years and years and years, it was the highest grossing foreign language film you know, in the United States. I mean, it had an incredible impact. And, and and I think from that point we started to see that mixed uh, between markets, and I think, I think that was and still is the most natural thing for him to jump between markets and do co-productions where English and Chinese is mixed and all of that. So, and certain filmmakers still work that way too. So, 
so it, it's a decent run, but I don't think it was. If it wasn't going to be successful off the two movies, then I think they they just ran out of juice. And Anime King is great material, but it didn't really break in, breaking through either. I think the box office was kind of disappointing for that one. It was a big budget movie, and I think Fox uh, did, uh, took a loss on that one, if uh, my memory is correct. I would imagine so. I mean, it had to be a fairly expensive production. And uh, you know, the thing is, it's not the musical The King and I. Uh, so it's not going to bring in the big big audience. Um, and it was, a, it was a fine movie. And again, his his charm really, really comes through marvelously in Anna and the King. And the poor guy had to speak Thai as well. Thai and English in that movie. Well, just like in, in Crouching Tiger, he had to speak Mandarin, which I... Basically, he he was like over three in terms of like his first three American movies. All three of them, Placement Killers, Corruptor, and Anna the King, were all box office disappointments at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit middling. Uh, 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 Replacement Killers did, I think, okay, but not it didn't blow up. Right. Let's talk some um, some other actors in the movie because I think it ultimately ele- elevates. Matters that James Foley populated this movie with uh, good supporting actors too. Uh, for instance, Rick Young as Henry Lee. That's a difficult role because Henry Lee is this uh, disarming, almost flamboyant style gangster. But his balance is quite good and he adds decent danger to that persona. He, he He's not flamboyant in terms of uh, that he's gay or anything and he's comically flamboyant, but he has a flamboyant sort of disarming style which uh, he can seduce uh, people and uh, manipulate them that way and uh, possibly have already done so with Chayan Fat's character and certainly does to Marky Mark's character. I think Rick is really, really good. Uh, that... Um, Scary? Not really, but he is uh, a puppet master that's uh, effective for this material, and uh, I quite quite enjoy that. And his one-on-ones with with Giant Bat are quite um, quite enjoyable as well. Also, uh, his one-on-ones with Mark, I think, were were very good. I mean, like he he plays a supreme manipulator. I I personally thought that there was a bit more of a possible homosexual undertone than you seem to have found. There's a kind of flamboyance in his delivery and whatever, uh, and, and a feminine quality to it, but uh, not not in your face. No, no, they didn't go overboard, uh, comically or anything. Just, you know, you, you can't tell one way or the other. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, you know, but it's for sure that this guy is ruthless and he knows how to play people. Yeah, it's a role that can go can go wrong if not handled correctly. Uh, it it if it's not if it's too little, then it's a problem. If it's too much, there's a problem, and and he gets it across without being a stock villain, which is great. When when you can escape that, when you can escape the stock villain trap, which. Uh, Rick Young certainly does. Then, then, then you're onto something uh, quite good. And uh, and as you said, Brian Cox is flawless, really, as uh, the deadbeat uh, father of uh, Marky Mark's character. I mean, talk about it's one of those actors that I, I I can't think of. I haven't seen all of his movies, but I can't think that I'll ever be disappointed in a Brian Cox performance because there, there's just something totally professional, even in the worst of movies. Right? They, they, it's just one of those actors that. You can watch all day, and uh, whether he elevates the movie or not, he might not. But it's Brian Cox, and you'll you'll never be disappointed. Really, you might have examples where you were disappointed and angry with Brian Cox, but uh, he's, to me, is one of those actors that uh, it, it's going to be a decent time. 
no, I think he, he's very solid. You can, I, I don't think you ever see him like phone in a phone in a performance. Um, he's he's present. He's there. And I think he works really well with uh, the other actors. Um, at least in the stuff that I've seen him in. One of my favorite movies I saw just a few years ago, it always looked great from uh, the get-go. I think the movie, it was retitled to Redemption. It might have been called Red um, originally. It's a movie where with him and Tom Sizemore, and Tom Sizemore's son kills Brian Cox's dog. So it's a little bit of a revenge piece. But it's, it's really good. Really good. And uh, as a wonderful monologue mid-movie that's really just heart-wrenching and... Uh, and and to boot is English or Scottish, I think Brian Cox, and he does a flawless accent here. Uh, to my yeah, to my Scottish. yeah. Uh, so uh, and and also Paul Ben Victor, as so I had to look that name up. He plays an FBI investigator. He's one of those guys that I've seen him hundred times before. I don't know his effing name, but his name is Paul Ben Victor, and it is hard ass sort of way too excited FBI investigator that uh, wants to bring uh, bring everything down and all of that. So he, James Foley populates this movie with good supporting actors, which is good because Marky Mark is certainly not the strongest one. Chai, in fact, is super strong. Their chemistry is, at, is passable, but it's not classic. So, so I think a lot of the material gets elevated through supporting actors and our main, main man, Chai, in fact. Well, the, their relationship, I mean, it, it, it's not like um, Mel Gibson and... Um, Danny Glover in the in the uh, Lethal Weapon series, um, and, and it doesn't have the comic qualities of say you know Jackie in in uh, in the Rush Hour movies or even the uh, the Shanghai Nights movies. It's not really designed to be that though. Uh, they don't they don't really go down those uh, roads. One one of, the, one of the neat things I there's one scene where um, Chow Yun Fat comes in to uh, <laughs> to Danny's apartment. And in this scene, Danny's shirtless. And I was like, I'm watching this and I'm looking at Wahlberg's six-pack. And I'm going, his, you know, this scene, was the, the way they shot it with him shirtless, was definitely intended to appease any of the women who were brought in by their boyfriends. It was like, oh, okay, if, if they got to get schlepped there to watch an action movie, at least let them get off on Mark Wahlberg's um, six-pack. I mean, and that was one of the things he was famous for when he was um, Marky Mark, you know. Uh, Still is Marky Mark. What are you talking about? <laughs> Excuse me. Never, never lived that name down. But he apparently was noted for uh, stripping down to his boxer briefs. Yeah, he was an underwear model as well. So... Yeah, well, that, that's what led to the underwear thing, uh, the uh, assignment with uh, Calvin Klein. Um, he was one of like nine children and the father left. He got in trouble. I mean, he was in, in jail for like 50 or 60 days. Not surprisingly for a white guy from the kind of area that he came from in Boston. He's a pretty prejudiced guy. I mean, he... I think he went to jail because he beat up two Vietnamese that he was trying to rob. Jeez, oh, I, I know he did time. I never actually looked into why he did time. Yeah, that was that was that was what it was all about. And and then his career, his one of his brother, I think, was Danny, was in New Kids on the Block. <laughs> and Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, was actually part of that initially, but he dropped out. Um, and then when he got out of jail, you know, Danny gave him some songs and he became this, you know, white rapper um, with a bad boy image. When you look back on that, I'm sorry, Stan, that, that, that is just the most pathetic bad boy image. If you look back <laughs> on Marky Mark and a funky bunch, <laughs> how bad can you get? Well, you can get funky. That's bad. He was a bit of a hood and a criminal, um, but 
he straightened himself out, if you want to say that. Um, and then he got in trouble again because of his prejudices and whatever. And so the, the rap thing went into the toilet. And then that's when he turned to acting. And surprisingly, he, you know, he came along. Um, like I said, his, his performance in uh, Boogie Nights in 97 was really pretty, pretty decent. I mean, and he wound up getting to the point where in 2006, he was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for The Departed, which, <laughs> I mean, I'm very glad that um, Scorsese got the Academy Award finally, but I would have rather him getting an honorary award. Yeah, no for that getting, movie. Than get it for an inferior remake of a Hong Kong masterpiece, you yeah. know? That, that even the Academy identified as a Japanese movie in one of their, you know, there's always a VO when they go up to the stage. They, they add some background and stuff, and the, and the lady that was reading the script said it was a Japanese movie, so, ouch. But I, I, I agree, I mean, Marky has grown into a more assured actor, not, not by any stretch of the imagination my favorite actor, but I think he's more uh, assured than, than he was, um, and certainly when he gets material. He he elevates that. I mean, I've yet to see Patriots Day, but he uh, he is quite good in Patriots Day, and he's uh, and the movie is acclaimed as well. So uh, I do look forward to uh, to seeing him. But 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 is he the one that makes me buy a ticket for the movie? Not a chance. That he is that strong as a movie star, to be honest. No, I mean, and and this is very early on in his career. I mean, certainly he's he's way outclassed by uh by Chow Yun Fat. Um, but I will mention too that to give him some credit where credit is due he handles comedy very well at least to, to, to judge by his performances in the movie ted it's it's a it's a it's a delightful amusing thing that's really kind of raunchy um i i i like the, the other guys quite a bit uh, i thought that was the time where i thought like hey he, he can do a comedy as well my friend i actually don't have any other notes as such other than uh, that is a, is a fairly recommended little little movie it has held up quite well and um, if, if you're a fan of James Foley from movies that are way different than this then give this a chance obviously it's uh, the director of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross Fear a close range uh, who's that girl <laughs> and stuff like that so I think I think he did uh, who's that girl but it, it, it's funny I was looking back on his filmography just to see how many I've seen and I've not seen everybody uh, all the movies uh, I and and when I was uh, when I was reminded of that he did it at close range I I flashed back to, I mean, early 90s, they, and I was quite young at that point, and they did a essentially a four-week horror marathon here, but one movie per week on Swedish TV. I only remember two of the movies that were part of that maybe four-week uh, marathon. One was Razorback, the Australian movie about this uh, killer porcupine or pig mm-hmm. or whatever, and the other was At Close Range. Which is not a horror movie. It's a yeah. dark movie. But when I look back on the fact that that's stretching it. But still, it was a, a quality movie to program on Swedish TV. And we certainly, at that point, we didn't have a lot of uh, channels and things like that. So, uh, But my memory of, of the movie is otherwise just, uh, it's blank. So that, that's due for a revisit. But I've heard good things about that close range. And I'm a big fan of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, obviously, also way different than... Then the 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 type of dialogue and style that we get in the corruptor. Obviously, it's a play play originally, but I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And uh, yeah, he's he's been around. David Mamet is certainly heads and heels above Robert Pucci, the uh, the screenwriter of uh, 
of the corrupter. For sure. Uh, also, uh, in terms of Foley, uh, I mean, he, since the corrupter, he's primarily done TV stuff. But I noticed that uh, he did about 12 episodes thus far, at least, um, for the House of Cards series um, on Netflix. And I'm sure that some of those were were very good ones. Uh, yeah, yeah, all solid. It's a solid series, and uh, n- not that directorial flair shines through. If anything, yeah, the entire series feels like a Fincher series because that, that that sort of stamp of quality and style and uh, atmos is very David Fincher. So uh, uh, I think a lot of people have to adhere to uh, what was established season one in House of Cards, and uh, I think he's doing the third Fifty Shades of movie, and which I have no interest in. But uh, he, he's working, so cool, my friend. I I don't have any other notes. So I'll I'll leave the floor to you if uh, you want to share anything from beginning, middle, end of movie, or what have you. Well, the only other thing is I maybe briefly mentioned uh, we talked about the cast. I maybe mentioned Kim Chan, who plays Benny Wong, the head of the uh, the Tang Society. Uh, Kim uh, Chan died in two thousand and eight probably best known to Westerners for his role in Lethal Weapon 4, where he plays, guess what? Benny, or a.k.a. Uncle Benny Chan, <laughs> the head of a crime gang, with the with the famous, wonderful scene in the doctor's office with the laughing gas. And it was weird because I had thought for sure that that was in um, Rush Hour, and then finally I realized, no, that was from Lethal Weapon 4, and he also was in Shanghai Nights, um, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues series. And way back in 97, he was in The Fifth Element. So he, he was around for many years uh, in, in a lot of um, things that, that, you know, that have endured. I mean, I just watched The Fifth Element on Blu-ray not that long ago. So uh, kudos to Kim Chan. Working, uh, working solid character actor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of those cases where... Hollywood, uh, the TV and movie industries maybe don't make the best use of people that they could. Certainly this is a big topic these days about, you know, the whitewashing of Asian characters. But it's good to see some of these movies where some of these guys really got to show their chops and um, and then looking them up in preparation for this saying, oh, wow, he was in that and he was in that. Oh, good for him. Nice career, you know. So kudos to, to the late Kim Chan. And it also comes back to the fact that uh, the fact that they don't rewrite Chiang Fat's character to have a, like a purely American origin. That they they write what's logic uh, logical for right. the character and for the actor too. For the actor, right? All, all around, like I, I I don't feel this movie was uh, very, very stereotypical in that regard. Um, and and even you, you know even though the Fukunese dragons might seem like pop star looking villains I mean, based on what they say in the supplements they they were dangerous at the very least um the the gangs that they were basing it on so and and they don't play them off as cool and hip because they they are murderous pricks from frame one you know byron man and his gang yeah absolutely couldn't be i mean, i I'm, i was very glad to have revisited it you know which certainly in the case of other movies Goodbye, Dragon Inn being an example. Of Let's do that. <laughs> Go back to it. this. This was this was. I didn't mind watching this again, and uh, I can see myself several years down the road saying, "Hey, time to pull out the uh, Corrupter DVD once again." I very much agree. And uh, and as for availability, it's not a film that's buried, obviously. And uh, there's, for instance, a very affordable US Blu-ray from from Warner Brothers, which contains some of the supplements from the new line 
DVD from back in the day, uh, but not all. Um, it, it contains the documentary, the audio commentary, but what it drops, which is a shame. That, that's why I bought both, because I was interested in, in, in all the supplements. It drops the... This is a supplement that's a bit hidden. It's not advertised on the back of the DVD, but what it drops is the additional... James Foley commentary snippets. Um, they present some additional select scene commentary that uh, lasts for about 40 minutes or so, meaning that he did like two sessions and some of the stuff they didn't keep. And that was on the New Line DVD. They also had an isolated score track. Uh, the composer was Carter Burwell. And he also did commentary in between uh, the music cues. And that that's also gone. And there was some DVD-ROM extras, uh, such as the script. Uh, they didn't keep that. But that DVD is actually still available for as cheap price. Both of them essentially are nine bucks each, the US Blu-ray and the DVDs. I bought both, so uh, you you can get a uh, full full corruptor experience if you want to for for twenty bucks. What, what both contains is that documentary on the making of the movie that also contains the unrated version of the car chase in full and um, a nice little loose overview of uh, of the movie with some great behind the scenes uh, footage uh, as well. So. Um, uh, if you're interested in that stuff, then uh, by all means, uh, pick it up. At any rate, uh, let's uh, put the corruptor to bed, and uh, after that, we're going to do the so, sort of the more easier review because it's a kung fu movie uh, by Yumbo Ping. And we're, but we are going to talk about it nonetheless. The Buddhist Fist from 1980, and we'll do that after the break. Some kung fu comedy for you all. So uh, we'll see you after that. <laughs> You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute. What are you doing, Trev? I need fuel. Go ahead, quick, get in the car. Oh, no, 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 no. I just got a new copy of Evil Dead. And I'm watching that tonight. We'll bring it along. It concerns that too. Wait, 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 wait. What happens to us in the future? No, 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 no. Both you and your Evil Dead collection turn out fine. As your kids, Smith, something's got to be done about our kids. They team up and do their own movie podcast. They hate Evil Dead and Back to the Future. We'll have to show them how a funny and informative podcast is really done. Well, Trev, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Synthesis Movies at UK. Available every Sunday by iTunes, Stitcher, and all good podcast outlets. Your jacket is not dry. And welcome back, and we conclude this episode with a review of Yoon uh, Woping's The Buddhist Fist from 1980, another kung fu comedy from the man that was responsible for breaking kung fu comedy in terms of uh, its uh, market appeal, uh, Snake and Eel Shadow and Drunken Master and uh, what have you. Uh, but this time uh, Jackie Chan is off on his own adventures in cinema and uh, Yoon makes a movie with his uh, family instead. But uh, the movie is about the following and this plot is from the Hong Kong Digital Review of the film. Bumbling Barber Shang played by Yoon Shun Yi gets fired from his job and sets out across the countryside to visit his father. Upon arriving home, he is 
unable to find the man, but uh, does encounter his childhood friend, Siming, played by Choi Siming, who is noted as the co-director in certain places, um, which might be very much true. He's actually is a filmmaker too. And uh, his uh, childhood friend is now a monk. Both men were raised by the same Shaolin master and are martial arts expert. oh, experts. A while back, Siming violated his vows by getting drunk and was framed for rape and murder. Now he's being forced to commit criminal acts by a mysterious figure who threatens to reveal Siming's crimes, crimes to the public. After assassins try to uh, kill him, Shang, our main character, learns from a policeman that his father had discovered a plot hatched by foreigners to steal some of China's treasures. The man blackmailing Siming is also part of that scheme, and Shang faces a difficult decision when he learns of his friend's involvement. So, granted that that's kind of a twist, but then again, uh, that seeming is involved, but it's not seven or the usual suspects, this, in terms of uh, twists. So, it's, it's Kung Fu cinema, you're, you're used to this stuff. And as for my, my quick opinion, it's quite fairly ordinary, in a way, as a Kung Fu comedy, but Yoon Ping was good at executing the basic and stock plots that the genre sort of represented. Uh, it's anchored by excellent traditional kung fu, some crazy characters for fighting and comedic purposes, but surprisingly the movie isn't that annoying comedy-wise, uh, which the genre often was. But Yuma Ping had a little bit, he had more skill in terms of kung fu comedy. Uh, Snake and Eagle, Shadow and Drunken Master looks like they're gonna be annoying, but thankfully those movies felt a little bit reeled in, and I think the same is true for The Buddhist Fist, in my opinion. But they, that's my short opinion for now. What did you think of uh, the Buddhist fists, Dan? It was it was bearable. It was uh, I didn't find it that much of a comedy. Uh, certainly, the scene in the barber shop where uh, Shang <laughs> goes far beyond uh, what is necessary uh, in terms of barbering a patient, a, a, a client. Some comedy ensues there. I thought most of it was more of a kind of a straight kung fu drama fortunately it wasn't of the 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 trope oh you killed my master you know it's like instead it's like what happened to my godfather and and it was good i think one of the things uh for me was you know seeing a really early uh yun wo ping movie uh certainly seeing drunken master and uh i'm sure i've seen snake and eagle shadows a million and one years ago and uh, it was interesting to see something early in the career. Uh, I don't think it was a particularly memorable movie. Part of it may have been the fact that I watched it, as I told you, uh, prior to uh, us doing this podcast, that I only had it available on Amazon Prime streaming. And uh, it was in widescreen, probably like 185 to 1, um, but it was only English dubbed. And... Um, I did what I thought I would probably do, and namely, I turned the volume down as much as I could so I could still hear that people were talking, but I, I experienced it as much as I could by the subtitles, which were okay, but uh, I, I have rarely found an Asian movie, Hong Kong, Chinese, Japanese, whatever, that really works in a dubbed version. Um, one or two exceptions, but not many. And so... But, by turning the volume down and just reading the subtitles, it made it a little bit more of a straightforward experience. Also, one of the problems with uh, seeing it on Amazon Prime was uh, clearly nobody had done anything to clean it up. So there was a pretty fair amount of variation 
from certain scenes. I mean, some would be really dark, some would be really, the color was kind of washed out, and then all of a sudden it's bright and vibrant, you know, when they cut from one thing to, from one reel to another. Um, and that detracts from it, because all of a sudden it's like, the whole visual experience shifts very dramatically. It isn't um, being made available in, uh, in in remastered form, really. We, we, we are stuck with one source, which is essentially the part widescreen source, as you as you mentioned, um, so that's that plays into it. Uh, but thankfully, not fully cropped uh, because uh, these movies uh, sort of requires at least a little bit of widescreen as they as they jump about the frame. I'm a great fan of Yuma Ping during this period, both for traditional purposes, like this c- could be said to represent traditional kung fu, but at some point in the eighties, him and his brother smoked some good shit and started making these mad kung fu special effects tinted comedies but it's really not the way to define them either um when the miracle fighters hit and the shaolin drunk or drunken tai chi with donnie and mishmashed couples with the breakdancing comedy there was a free-for-all energy in some of yumbo ping's movies that was absolutely off the rails great because they they managed to execute that visually uh they they were they they weren't ideas about talking funny to each other. They were visual crazy ideas, and uh, Hong Kong cinema could crank such things very well. And and Yuval Ping went into that phase rather well. This movie has traces of that. There's an uh, a humpback assassin a little bit later in the film that essentially looks dead. So that that's a little hint of. Uh, where Yumbo Ping would go. But otherwise, this is pretty damn traditional, and it hinges a lot on the fact that, okay, its sellable element needs to be good. And I think, uh, as we'll probably discuss a little bit, uh, the, the sellable element of Kung Fu, that that, that really does um, bring the movie ho- home to uh, to, a- to absolutely bearable. Uh, cl- classic, I wouldn't say personally. It's, it's one of the little bit of... Lesser movies around this time, but he made a lot of quality movies. Uh, Magnificent Butcher obviously was around at this point. Dreadnought is a great, great favorite of mine, and 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 onwards, uh, you know, um, uh, and then switch to more modern action. Tiger Cage is a fan favorite for good reasons, and uh, he's he's kept working both as director and obviously treasured and uh, demanded action director in the West for a while, and still uh, still is working uh, working hard. Most recently, uh, he did uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny for uh, Netflix, which uh, was okay. Not nearly as good as the first one, but... Uh... That's most what... If you say it was okay, that's that's a rare okay, because I think <laughs> a lot of people did not like that movie. I have not seen it, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about it, but uh, I, I think it's one of those cases where just watch the movie and then have a have a discussion about it um, rather than rather than hinge your thoughts on the fact that it's english why is it english because it was shot with english language in mind but uh... well the thing was i didn't realize it because as i say whenever i see the options i will listen to chinese spoken and read subtitles and that's how i thought it was made well you who could blame you for expecting that that's how it usually is made <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, it, it makes sense when you consider, you know, Donnie Yen, uh, Michelle Yeoh, and um, what's his name? Uh, the one who plays the villain. You know, they they all speak fluent English, so pretty fluent English, at least. 
So um, I, I was really surprised. I think I made some comment somewhere, you know, some Facebook page or whatever, and somebody said, no, 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 <laughs> this thing was made in English. They, they, they did the, the Chinese version as a dub, you know. It was like, you know, to see Chinese actors and actresses in a period piece, I don't want to hear them speaking English. It doesn't belong, you know. It's just inappropriate as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you wonder why they did I mean, I can guess why they did it, but Netflix always seemed to me like it's it's a non-demanding platform, meaning they, they give freedom. And you, you'd think that a sequel to Crouching Tiger would be shot in Mandarin, even if not sync sound, because not all movies nowadays in China or Hong Kong are sync sound. But you would expect that it would be Mandarin, uh, sing sound or dubbed, and that would be fine because people are tuned to subtitles and it's going on Netflix anyway, so there's not a whole lot of cinematic gamble involved here in terms of, oh, what are they going to think? Uh, and, and, and for heaven's sake, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon mainly played with subtitles in America. So it, it has a history of being successful because of that. But, but then again, this, this, the, this, this quote sequel, uh, which is also based on one of the five books... Um, that the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was. It's not geared for um, an art house theatrical release. It's geared for Netflix streaming services. I mean, they did have a theatrical release, a limited one, which is um, their way of doing things, uh, which is controversial in a lot of parts. Um, But they're mainly geared for their streaming service uh, subscribers. And those people, by and large, are not like you. They're not like me. They're people who... When coming at them in English, they don't want to read subtitles. Yeah, well, 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 the well, the option that would have made sense. I know it's the Buddhist fist review, but well, <laughs> the option that would have made sense was to have an English dubbed track there. Yeah, exactly. Well, 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 at least we have the options. That 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 is the point. The actual Buddhist fist DVD doesn't present any subtitled options. Actually, it's uh, it's multi uh, multi language but no subtitles. The actual original DVD of this, uh, but uh, uh, we'll get to that. I think. Uh, I, I don't know anything about martial arts. I'm not a practitioner. I'm just a fan of when it looks good on screen. So I can't say what styles are being used. But I, I, I think it's the the Yumbo Ping. I think he co-choreographed the, the action uh, together with his... Um, well, well, it's credited credited to the Yun clan and his father, Simon Yun, uh, who's in this movie briefly. But regardless, I, I think the, the, the movie... It has some goodwill with me when we see some initial demonstrations, martial arts demonstrations by the character Choi Siu Ming plays and Yun Chin Yi as well. They do demonstrations together. And those are quality demonstrations, meaning that the movie feels ever so slightly more accomplished as a film because at least it seems like we're getting quality in terms of this sellable element. Because this is also a very low-budget film, mostly shot outdoors, and the sets are standard kung fu sets, uh, like any other random kung fu comedy would have, uh, the kind of budget they would have, and any random kung fu comedy would probably be a very bad one, with annoying comedy and some kung fu that possibly is good. But here, there, there is a quality to the demonstrations, I think, and its aim doesn't seem to be, as you alluded to, to just go right for the lowbrow comedy it selects its moments and when it does i think it's it presents a little bit of rare focus in terms of okay let's try and make it funny and not go the cheap route um, and have uh, and have characters be loud and broad but having said that stan yumbo ping i think almost consciously is presenting this parade of 
for lack of a better word, I'm sorry, odd-looking characters. Because uh, pe- people are cr- cross-eyed, people have hairy molds and shit. And oh, it's, yes. it's almost like uh, he's asking to be disliked. But he, he's clever enough to sort of, nah, I'm pretty much good. I'm, I'm a good kung fu comedy filmmaker. I'm going to make this bearable at the very least. That parade, I think, is memorable because it, there's so much of it that the movie risks going off the rails and somehow doesn't and lands in that solid to bearable territory, if you will. Um, was that a, at all an annoyance for you to see so many almost disgusting looking characters and having them twist their hairy moles uh, like they're twisting a mustache? <laughs> you know? I guess in, in my day I've seen a fair number of hairy moles so they, it doesn't turn me off. I'd forgotten about the, the kind of hump, humpback figure. But that was that that sequence worked, worked better for me than the barbershop comedy sequence. For sure, for sure. I'll tell you, I have a bit of a problem with the kind of kung fu in this kind of movie because it is so clearly choreographed. You can almost hear the actors counting when they're doing it, which is, this is 1980, and it, it's, I mean, this is just so stylized. On the other hand, I did kind of appreciate it because it brought to mind, to me at least, why... Uh, and I'm thinking in terms mainly of actresses in terms of um, um, Michelle Yeoh and Zhang Ziyi, both of whom were former dancers. Why they are so successful, in part at least, and maybe part, to a great part, to do action stuff. Because while, while the stuff that they've been doing is much more fluid than what we see here in Buddhist Fist, it's still a chore- choreographed. It, you, you very, I never really think about that, to be honest, because I, I very much agree it is. And it, it isn't aiming to be um, hard and gritty. It isn't aiming to be, you know, it's more demonstration in style. It, it's very Yun Ping at this time, uh, whether doing a traditional straight fight, like the end fight, of course, but also when he mixes uh, the intricacy in combination with comedy, which he does in, for instance, uh, the scene with his brother, Yun Chung Yan. And the it's a comedy kung fu confrontation where there's it involves a bird cage being juggled about the place, and later there's a chessboard sequence with Fan Mei Sheng's character. So I, I enjoy I, I enjoy that ballet, but you're absolutely absolutely spot on that it, it is a dance and a little bit show offy too. But I I do think that's still what carries the movie into that it, it, it's all good fun to watch this stuff it's story impactful into if, if it's story impactful action uh no not really i mean it, it's standard plotting devices and then they do this kind of chosen kung fu mixed with a little bit of comedy that, that, that that's all fine so i i i totally hear what you're coming from i actually love that point but i'm i'm i'm, I'm very um i find it very compelling uh the skill uh, on display here Having said what I said, on the other hand, or, or, or somewhat on the other hand, one of the things that I recognize is you see a lot of full body shots. You know, in, the, in other words, the fight, the kung fu confrontation is done from a distance so that you see both characters, their full body, and they're for a fairly extended period of time. Like there may be 8, 12, 15 moves um, before they cut to something else. Almost feels like it's 8, 12, 15 seconds sometimes, and imagine yeah. how many moves that is. But but as opposed to a lot of the modern-day stuff where the camera is in real tight on somebody, and it's really, really dark, and it's edited so fast, it was like, 
you hardly need any skill. Uh, okay, this, this, this shot's going to take 1.3 seconds. Zoom, zoom, throw your arm. Okay, now we're going to cut to something else. And, and here you see at least the intricacy of the entire body being confronted with another body. And, and that's credible. Uh, like I say, this, some of the stuff in modern action movies where it's just so close you can't see who's doing what to whom, and it's so fast you can't keep track of what's going on. Even in Asia, man, I mean, they, they, they haven't held on to this tradition as such. They've, they, I think partly they've been influenced by the West as well. So even modern Kung Fu movies, action movies, uh, they suffer from this. Uh, not all, but uh, it, it's uh, it, it's not something I like. I remember talking with John Crane about this, that he heard uh, reasoning for uh, directors and editors and uh, cinematographers to choose this uh, loose style, shaky style, is to have you in the fight. And he said, no, but your head doesn't bop back and forward like that necessarily in a fight. And number two, it's not watchable that way. Anyway, so that that, that argument just falls, you know, flat as a pancake on the ground. So there's a time and place for a chaotic style, but it rarely feels warranted whether doing a, a massive scene like Saving Private Ryan. I mean, it's not Kung Fu, obviously, but there's a time and place for chaotic camera work and editing style but ju- just because one did it doesn't mean it's correct for the 10 subsequent choices it's got to be it's got to be for the context i mean you don't want a chaotic style when it's not a chaotic situation i mean out and out warfare the in- the invasion of normandy yeah that's chaos but like when you've got two people facing off against one another it's not chaotic. <laughs> exactly. It, it, you know, especially especially if these people are, as, uh, as the two characters here, are supposed to be highly adept at what they're doing. Uh, one doing Buddha palm, the other doing Buddha fist. You know, they're they're going to be composed. I mean, and 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 there's a degree to which the kind of choreography that I talked about actually, in one sense, it does make sense because if both people are very highly evolved. I, I've studied Tai Chi Chuan since the early 90s, and I've read about other martial arts, and, and not that I'm, you know, a master by any means. I'm still... <laughs> you can probably kick my ass, Dan. That, that's what I'm, I'm calling that right now. <laughs> Next time I'm over there, I'll go. <laughs> Take that. Um, but uh, if you're at a really, really high level, then if somebody throws a punch, you're going to be able to block it, you know, because you're going to be able to read them. And so so when you've got equals, that kind of choreography, while it is a little bit contrived, in one sense, it does make sense. I, I particularly love the scene where uh, Yun Chun Yi's character and Choi Su Ming's character reunite you know, in the middle of the film. Uh, they haven't seen each other for a while. And they have a little sparring, sparring thing yes. there. And that is probably the... M- <sighs> It's a massive amount of exchanges that they do in that particular scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Granted, they don't, you know, jump in the air and go up, and go up in trees and grounds and jump up and down. But it's the it's the sparring that just goes on and on and on, shot with a clarity, clarity as we talked about. And it's not. It seems like it isn't too much. It's not like it starts to slow down because there's too much exchanges in one particular shot. I, I and I'm still weak for that thing um uh, knowing nothing of martial arts and just admiring that these guys can keep it up and Yumo Ping along with other filmmakers like uh, the late Lao Ga Lung I, I think they were pretty hard asses on on their actors it needs to be right it needs to be right so we're gonna stay here and shoot until it 
looks right and feels right and even i i don't think at this time they had video playback so they had to rely on what their cinematographer saw and what they they themselves saw well video playback existed i mean that goes back to the late jerry lewis i mean he invented it but i doubt that uh that hong kong especially a film with this kind of budget could have afforded it no no way i mean i think i've heard it might not be the first time it was used, but one of the first time it was it was used on a Jackie Chan movie. I believe the, the, the director, Gordon Chan, talked of that that was the first time he used video playback. And it was on the movie Thunderbolt, the, mm-hmm. ra- the racing movie. But uh, Jackie on his own movies might have used it uh, before. But uh, it's admirable that uh, it's um, they, they can uh, see the vision and determine that they're good to go and to move on to the next shot of 20 exchanges <laughs> so uh, they're, they're they're very they're very they're very talented uh d- just to list some minor highlights i think it, d- the run-ins with the seemingly oddball characters uh, I, I think is a nice little thread that carries the entertainment value to solid and bearable for me as well uh, he uh yun chin yi has a fight with seemingly a fortune teller because um, he has this um, little container with um wooden straws or whatever that when they they are dropped out of the container there's a particular prediction on that and they they fight he fights with a fortune teller essentially i i i know it's a bad explanation but yungo ping does a complex fight surrounding that little scenario which i think is uh all good fun but probably the best one because he he has a big scenario and it, it it's around it's surrounding sort of theme an intent is an assassination is the 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 dinner with uh, the pale hunchback killer that knows holy ghost claw <laughs> which is just effing delightful stan if something is called holy ghost claw and the guy looks like that and we got jumbo ping heading there, I, I i sit up and uh, watch that intently and it, it's a fun sequence because it's uh he he know one person knows that or two person knows that they're they're out to get each other and the third one doesn't so it's that whole uh manners at the dinner table despite them seemingly out to kick the shit out of each other <laughs> and I, I enjoy that because I, I think it's rigged up the table as well with a with a little string to have something shoot out at him or whatever and and i think um the outwitting part that they're they're trying to do towards each other is very funny it's the standout sequence of the movie just because yeah i you know what why, why i think i love it is because it reminds me of the insanity that humor ping and his brothers would engage in across three or four movies uh, that i mentioned uh, that were way detached from traditional kung fu and just went for sights unseen really uh, <laughs> i mean i i don't know if you ever incur- encountered these movies like throughout the years the likes of uh, miracle fight uh, shaolin drunk or drunken tai chi but uh, if you haven't it's it's um it's a time where you feel like you're under the influence but you're actually not the the, the makers possibly were but man did they, did they put the creativity to good, to good use because it's just um it's technically up there too it's it's really it's really creative what they uh what they do so i i love this streak of movies and even dreadnought the year after is uh pot traditional pot it's a little bit of a serial killer movie a little bit of a, of a slasher movie and our lead yun shun yi here who's sufficient but certainly no jackie chan he plays the vicious villain in dreadnought which seems to i always say associated him with more you know he's vicious he's rough and here he's um he's a guy he's merely a guy uh, i don't think he was slated for 
uh, kung fu good guy lead necessarily it's one of the rare occasions when we did get him uh, appearing that way but uh, yeah so uh, probably my my favorite sequences despite the end fight with yun chun yi and choice you means is supposed to be the greatest fight of the movie being the finale but i still think the uh, the holy ghost claw man and, and at the dinner table and the, and the assassination he is going to attempt uh, the well, well he's uh, he's uh, going to poison him that that's it that that is the highlight of of the movie for me to tell you the truth i mean it, i don't know whether it was because of the nature of how i watched it instead of seeing a really really good print of it I'd actually forgotten that scene. I'm glad you reminded me of it because that that is a very outstanding scene, and I think maybe maybe it is the highlight in terms of the uh, the action confrontations. I mean, the, the the finale is sort of it's sort of like a given. It's it's it, in a way it's it's not that suspenseful. Just like it's not that suspenseful figuring out who was the guy who tried to steal the uh, artifacts. I mean, you know who it is pretty sure although there was a point near the end where i thought it might be this other character um so i thought that uh yun wo ping in terms of a d- director and plot and and so on and so forth did a really good job like because i thought i knew rock solid that character was the one who made the unsuccessful attempt to steal you know this object and then all of a sudden i'm going wait a minute, maybe I was wrong about that, and perhaps it was this other character who did it. So, you know, to to, to make me rethink it in the middle of the movie, it was like, okay. I always quote, uh, it's a fairly rare, not rare movie, or obscure movie, but it's a fun movie that's a parody of the these kind of movies and especially swordplay movies with a lot of twists and reveals and it's a movie called Legend of the Owl that David Chang directed and it's if you want to simplify it it's essentially a Hong Kong doing an airplane style spoof mm-hmm. of, of their movies and it includes a, an ending reveal of who's the man behind the owl mask and when he does reveal himself and he says it's me ha 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 I'm this and this and this and the characters look at him and say now we don't recognize you who are you who are you (laughs) and then there's another reveal and they stare at him and stare at each other essentially no 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 idea no idea and they just go into a fight instead (laughs) which is true for a lot of these especially at Shaw brothers they made a lot of complex swordplay movies and fantasy movies and you had no idea who you know because they pile on the twists and all of that and that makes it fun and then there, there, there's a visual spectacle too uh, in, in those movies um, uh, because it's sort of the tradition, I suppose. But but anyway, I think uh, it's a satisfying watch for me. Uh, worth seeking out if you've familiarized yourself with most of the other kung fu output of Yuvmo Ping's between you know, Drunken Master and onwards. It doesn't need to be top priority necessarily but it's a, it's a, it's a good solid uh, watch with some quality kung fu and um, uh, sometimes that's uh, that's uh, all you need so i that's that's how i want to conclude my notes buddy so um, I'll, I'll leave it to you if you want to mention anything else just a, a couple quick things i checked on imdb he has 72 credits as an actor which really surprised sure. me he's uh he's he's in mismatched couples for breakdancing action comedy with donnie Yen, and he's very very funny and 66 credit for stunts and and this is it's so much fun because the different terminology that um the credits are listed there's either action director action choreographer martial arts advisor martial arts director martial arts choreographer 
fight coordinator, stunt coordinator, fighting instructor. Um, you know, I mean, I understand certain differences. For example, um, martial arts choreographer to me would imply that he just does the choreography of the fights. If he's the martial arts director, that means he determines where the camera's going to be placed and how it's going to be filmed. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, he's probably doing both roles. You know, but 66 credits for various uh, titles related to stunts, 31 credits as as director, uh, like I say, going way, way back all the way up to uh, the most recently completed one was uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. So, the, I mean, the man is just incredible output. I mean, and he's, let's see, he's 72 years old now and still going at it. I think there's like multiple projects in the pipeline, to be honest. So he's uh, he's uh, not slowing down anytime soon. No, no, just just incredible. I mean, in terms of director, there's two projects that are filming and one that's in post production. You know, so yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the versatility was uh, was also very much there because they 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 could do the traditional, the crazy, and even modern action, but also the children's friendly. There, there's. Um, a very good little movie called The Champion starring Yoon Byu that Yoon Ping had indirected by one of his brothers did and it's a family friendly action comedy centering around soccer mm-hmm. and I quite enjoy that movie it's, uh, it isn't that, that crazy contrasty Hong Kong style where there is violence one scene and family friendly elements in the next scene it's uh, quite even tempered and it's uh, a little bit of a favorite of mine uh, but, uh, but but yes, if you if you encounter the likes of Dreadnought, for instance, or Miracle Fighters, uh, check him out for a wilder side of uh, of Yumbo Ping and his brothers uh, making movies. Uh, they're they're quite, uh, if anything, they're quite extraordinary just to look at and say that you know what I saw last night. <laughs> this it is. Uh, but at any rate, uh, let's do some quick availability. We've hinted at it, but uh, the main DVD out there is Tai Seng's bilingual but unsubbed version, crop to uh, 185 approximately, as Stan said. And uh, this is also the same master available to stream on Amazon Prime, as you inform me of, Stan. And uh, I guess the the subtitles, therefore, were based on a dub, so uh, and and there was only that option, English language, and uh, some closed captions, I guess. And certainly if, if, if you have Amazon Prime, it's, it's well worth checking out. Uh, I can't imagine anybody watching it and really regretting having spent uh, whatever it is, hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes uh, um, with the movie. There is a... Um, I have it on the way, so I'm looking forward to confirm if it is. But they, they released it on VHS in the UK by uh, the label uh, Made in Hong Kong in the 90s. And as far as I know, their master was the full widescreen one. So the the, the cropped one hasn't been the only one in circulation. Granted, it the, the frame isn't that cropped, but if I have an option, and thankfully that VHS was cheap then mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to own it in full widescreen. And um, it might even be, but um, I don't know uh, if it was English dubbed only or subtitled. So uh, I'll uh, confirm that at some point later because that company did both English dubbed and subtitled depending on the movie, uh, Kung Fu or not. So um, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, cool, my friend. Uh, we are done for this episode and uh, we're going to sign off with some brief contact information and a little plug for for you again so uh for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com and you'll find links to all our other shows our social media presences my 
review site is available in the show post. I have a link to it and so forth. So, uh, And uh, again, if you have any questions or feedback on this uh, episode and these movies, we, we would love to hear from you. So get in touch. But uh, you get the final plug being, uh, being a terrific uh, co-host and co-producer of this episode because you generated the content with me. Uh, you, you get a full firm plug at the end here, Stan. Well, thank you so much. It was great being here again and uh i'm looking forward to listening to it when once it's online and available and uh for those of you who are interested drop by my uh my blog asian cinefest at asiancinefest.blogspot.com i do coverage of the new york scene and releases especially a lot of stuff coming out from wellgo usa probably the uh premier uh distributor of uh asian movies uh just watched the prison a nice Korean uh, action movie. It's been terrific getting together with you again, Kenneth, and I hope we'll do it again uh, even sooner. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry for taking so long. I've just... Uh, you, you've been in my notes, I, I, uh, but I've just been busy doing other stuff. And uh, yeah, so it's all my fault. But, but hey, it was, uh, it was all worth it. No fault. No problem. And uh, maybe we'll be uh, go further outside the box and actually talk of Anna and the King of the Likes because uh, the, this show isn't contained to Hong Kong only. I, I like to expand because because you should. As anyone that is creative, you really should expand. And when you have an idea that sounds fun to do, i.e. talking of US movies featuring Hong Kong stars or by Hong Kong directors of the Likes, that sounds fun. And I'm not the guy that buries that instinct. So, uh, b- believe me, Anna and the King is something I, I like to revisit. I haven't seen it for a number of years, but um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I like it so much that it isn't in storage, right? <laughs> so, it's, uh, it's uh, merely gathering a little bit of dust here. So, uh, uh, so cool, my friend. But uh, I, well, let's uh, sign off, and thank you very much, Dan. And uh, I've been Kennedy, and with me was Dr. Stanglick. So, uh, take us out, buddy. Thank you so much. Have a good day, and stop by the website. <laughs>